0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is sitting across from me. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome.
1: I'm so glad
0: to be here. Oh, it's good to have you. Jorna was on, uh, uh, gone last week in Door County, but we were glad she was able to join us via phone. But as always in the studio, our lavish studio here in Milwaukee, uh... <laughs> Dr. Robert Craig, Executive Director at Citizen Action. Robert, uh, good day, everyone, and it's a, we have a nice office actually. <laughs> it's beautiful. So we are definitely going to talk about healthcare. It was a, another big week, and it's uh, obviously going to continue to remain a top issue all summer. Uh, so we'll spend the first uh, couple parts of the shows of the show talking about healthcare. Um, we'll dive a little bit into the Marquette poll. We may touch on a couple of other state issues, but we're going to spend some time later in the podcast actually talking with some members of our organizing cooperatives uh, in other parts of Wisconsin who are working on our fair elections work and are heavily involved in trying to uh, make sure that we have fair maps here in the state. And so we'll talk more about them, hear about what they're doing, and why that work is so important. And then we'll also have Jeff Smith, the organizing director of the Western Wisconsin Cooperative on later to talk about KFOs and those are concentrated agricultural farming operations. If you don't know about them, it means you haven't heard about heard from Jeff previously when he's been on our podcast, but he's going to give us an update on how the uh, people fight against these KFOs is going and also tell us a little bit more about the Western Wisconsin Co-op. But let's get going. It's been a fascinating week, and Robert, I wanted to start our podcast by actually playing a small clip of Donald Trump. This would be late Wednesday, while the Chicago Cubs were there, um, to, mm-hmm. and, and get your response to some, some, some news. And, and this, Turning this is, me against the Cubs. This is too much. Congratulations to everybody. That's fantastic. That's a great achievement. And your team's doing okay, but you're
2: going to do great starting now, right? I'm starting with just does anybody want to see the Oval Office? Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave them behind. <laughs> and just to do a little official business, healthcare is working along very well. We could have a big surprise
0: with a great health care package. So now they're happy. What do you mean by big surprise? I think you could have a great, great surprise. Okay, so Robert, <laughs> first of all, what's wrong with the Cubs? as the preeminent Cub fan here on the show. But more importantly, what is he talking about? What's this big, big surprise? There seems to be, and again, we record Thursday morning, there seems to be uh, buzz out there that the Republicans are actually going to pull this back together in about 24, 48 hours with a big, big surprise. What... What's Trump talking about? I get the Cubs things; they're not playing well. But what is he talking about here?
3: I don't unconfirmed rumors from Chicago sports radio that one of the Cubs' Latin players did give the middle finger to the president on the side there when he was talking about health care. But I haven't actually; I, I don't that, that's unverified. I just heard it on sports talk radio. But anyway, which is not necessarily a, a valid source. Well, they are they are desperate. They want to send out a, a different version of the plan that now has what Jorna seventeen percent, twelve percent support. Uh,
1: just 12% of Americans.
0: Wait, NPR says it's 17. And NPR but like says Suffolk it's 17. Or something says
1: 12, and I think about 0.12% of Americans even know that it's <laughs> those happening. <laughs> those are, right. are
0: powerfully strong scores. So
3: it is nice to see that uh, they're, they're really shocked that the public actually is seeing through what they're trying to do. They, uh, they actually have greatly underestimated the American public, which is, uh, you know, shows their disdain really for the American public but anyway um, they are they there's this promise they were talking about Friday now I'm hearing Saturday slip in that they'll have some new version to send to CBO so it's ready when they get back from the 4th of July recess um, it seems it seems hard to believe other than there's a couple hundred billion dollars of slush fund money that McConnell has laid aside in this to try to pay people off so that's obviously part of it and supposedly, this woman, whose name a lot of people probably haven't heard, Seema Verma, is playing a, a huge role, and she's the head of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. She was brought to us by Mike Pence from Indiana, and she's one of the uh, engineers of things like Walker's Badger Care waiver, like forced drug testing, work requirements, raising premiums, and asserts all sorts of great things all these things do. So they're apparently turning her to damage control on CBO and bring uh, setters along. But they're in the harms of the same dilemma the House had, and that is they have a a kind of a flying monkey conservative wing, uh, the Tea Party wing, that wants to go further and sees this as Obamacare light, uh, throwing 22 million people off insurance and devastating Medicaid as Obamacare light. And another group that actually realizes that we're not only repealing the Affordable Care Act, but we're repealing... Medicaid, essentially, and radically restructuring it and uh, changing the American health care system forever. And so can they create a deal where they only lose two votes? Uh, do not, I do not underestimate their willingness to do this and their willingness to do all their power to do this. But There's not a clear path to victory at the moment, Matt.
0: What I don't understand is how they're going to bring, and by the way, Ron Johnson appears to now be part of clearly in the conservative caucus side, right? Uh, And we'll talk more about that. I want to get Jorna to follow up on that. But how do you get the moderates, who essentially it sounds like want maybe some form of Obamacare with slight tweaks... And these folks on the other side who basically essentially want to go after and get rid of the pre-existing mandates, right? I mean, they, they and want and they massive want to, waivers for the state.
3: They don't want to radically restructure <clears throat> Medicaid. They understand what that means uh, in this economy and in general with the cost of health care and uh that's where the money is so a dilemma for mcconnell is since they want it for the tax cuts it's not really a care bill it's a tax cut for the wealthy bill uh they can't really fix medicaid and not do these things to medicaid and have enough money to do what they really want to do which is engage in one of the largest wealth transfers upwards in american history
0: so i want to dive into that later but what i want jorna to talk about first because jorna came in today very hot about the Johnson comments over the week, which I think were really instructive in first because it shows how far gone Johnson is in some ways, which is disappointing. But Jorna, tell our listeners what we're referencing in terms of what Senator Johnson said. I believe it was meet the press and, and the comparison he made, which really shows he in some ways is far gone and not really in this discussion at all.
1: It's fascinating to me what uh, Senator Johnson he, man he's like losing it or something and I I don't mean that in, I don't mean to be offhanded and offend people that way but he is just like a space case so he actually was referring to pre-existing conditions in the same way and not being covered in the same way that you shouldn't expect insurers car insurance, Salespeople to have to insure you once you got into an accident. So if you have cancer, um, it's kind of like after you've gotten into a car accident you don't really deserve coverage because, you know, you went and got that cancer. What, what a heartless, cold, horrible thing to say. It's inhumane. It's mean-spirited. But that is exactly what this Senate version of the bill and the House version of the bill um, was, is mean-spirited and doesn't care about people.
3: What do you think about Mark Pocan's remarks that he complimented Johnson for being outspoken and stating his views? I know Mark has worked hard on trying to find, actually have bipartisan yeah. conversations, which is always a good thing, right. right?
1: So Congressman Pocan, since he was in the state assembly, has really always tried to reach across the aisle. And I actually commend him for for saying something, you know, to to publicly support Johnson splitting from his party, right? Because as much as Johnson has been saying that he may not be... In support of it, uh, he's been a pretty reliable vote for um, his orangeness on these matters. So I guess, I you know, I, I understand the strategy. I don't think that um, in reality that that <laughs> was why Johnson is so not supporting.
3: I'll compliment Ron Johnson in a different way. I will say that for whatever reason, and he may be just mad at McConnell for pulling money from him during his reelection, but for whatever reason, he is saying what the others won't say. And so they really think, like the 19th century, that people of pre-existing conditions did something wrong. And most of them are, are, are politic enough not to say it. And so in many ways, Ron Johnson is doing a public service by showing the animus towards people who need access to health care and need our democracy to provide it, uh, making that clear. And so in a very w- w- weird way, he's not going to run for re-election he's a he 's a, a rich guy, right he 's simply stating what 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 Mitch McConnell and the others and Charles Grassley and the whole and the rest wouldn 't actually say but actually believe if they support this bill
0: well it 's fascinating uh, look he 's to be commended for actually speaking out about the insane timeline, mm-hmm. but this guy 's still defending the lack that we 've had public hearings <clears throat> you know in this uh, meet the press interview. The debate really got started around the fact that there's been, you know, no opportunity to bring insurance company heads before them, actually figure out what their costs are, have a serious investigation of, you know, what is, what are the true economics of one fifth, one sixth of our economy, right? The kind of thing you might do if you were seriously uh, going to talk about restructuring it
3: what's so, the role of the drug company users? all of none this of that. right yeah.
0: right so none of that and Johnson accepts all that but you know obviously we have been putting a lot of time into trying to put pressure on Johnson and and so it unfortunately appears the pressure has been helpful in terms of getting him to be publicly outspoken and seem like he's against at least the process and by the way the process is part of what is driving some of these numbers at 12 and 17 right that's where you get Republicans even appalled at this process right and so Johnson is of course speaking to them but as we have found out with what you brought up jorna from a policy standpoint this guy is off on the off off the rails right he's pitching these high risk insurance pools which we've already talked about robert's talked extensively about these things are completely not prepared or up to the task of what we're going to do here we got to get out of here we're going to talk a little bit more about this right on the back on the other side Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org and we are having a great conversation about the Senate health care bill and in particular, Jorna brought up Senator Ron Johnson and his completely outrageous comments comparing the notion that somehow if you have a pre-existing condition, you're similar to someone who has crashed the car. He,
1: <laughs> They are crashing the car. That's for sure, Republicans.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's like no 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 kidding thanks senator johnson for pointing out that like people who have serious medical conditions are extremely costly and it's a major part of figuring out how do you create a system that spreads the burden of folks who are you know have these health conditions cuz it could be any one of us, right? And so, of course, that's part of the equation, the no- notion you can cut them out and put them in these insurance pools. Well, we know about
3: lasering them out during the election. Yeah, uh, like a laser cat. The laser cat, yeah. So here's the thing about the high-risk pools. You know, you could say that 5% of the population, the sickest people, that we're putting them off to the side, okay. Um, and you could have a funded high-risk pool, it would cost you a couple hundred billion dollars, okay? They're not doing that. Well, that's because so they, they
0: can't afford that. Right, because
3: they need it for the tax cut. So what continues to make me irate and feel moral moral repugnance towards them is their unwillingness to say what they're really doing. Kind of, a, It's a real challenge for democracy because they ran on lower premiums, lower deductibles. By the way, the plan skyrockets deductibles, okay, by up to $6,000 on average. Um, they want more choice. You have less choice, right, unless it's choice of health insurance companies to cut things out so you don't know what's covered until you need it. But they won't say that. And the high-risk pools is the same thing. If you want to actually do high-risk pools, you have to fund them, and they won't do that. The public's seeing through it. It's a tax bill, not a health bill. It is Getting rid of health care for millions of of Americans to give more tax cuts to the only group of Americans who have been doing well. And then they say, oh, the CBO is wrong because the CBO doesn't understand the magic of marketplaces like this marketplace will function like insurance companies and drug companies have any incentive to provide anything affordable to anyone rather than simply posting the biggest profits possible to please their real investors and stakeholders which is Wall Street. That's what we're talking about here.
0: Well look, we're going to we're going to have to switch gears a little bit here but we're going to talk more about this going forward cuz this is obviously probably unless this great big surprise happens in the next 24 48 hours. It's magical walking on water kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But we want to talk a little bit about the new Marquette poll that came out. We haven't talked about polling in a long time. We love to talk about the limits of polling and what it can and can't do. Robert will, I'm sure, have something interesting to tell us uh, about how much he loves this poll. But uh, new Marquette poll came out for whatever reason. This has become the gold standard in polling. Um, And it continues to show that Governor Walker, Trump are not as popular, uh, that they're underwater, but it seems to try to imply that they're doing a little bit better. Jorna, tell us more about what's behind some of the polls and this poll in particular, or any particular thoughts you have. Uh, One thing before before you go that I'll throw out there is it is important to understand that the sample size matters a lot. And this sample size... Has changed significantly from their previous polls in that it's uh, it's a lot more Republican. So that might help explain a sample, few things. You mean the, the
1: actual sample, not the size. The, the size. The, excuse you.
0: Good point. The sam the actual sample. Good point. I didn't mean to say sample size. The actual sample of Republicans and Democrats has become significantly higher, like five points, I believe, even yeah. higher than what they traditionally do, and and. I don't know. Maybe the state just became five points more Republican. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I would find it hard to believe that the state became any more Republican than it is. But I guess there's still some space to move. Look, I mean, a poll is a snapshot in time of a certain set of people that are, frankly, not paying attention to what's going on. Uh, It's summer and people are on vacation and this is a Republican um, leaning sample. So the fact that there's any movement at all is actually, you know, bodes well. And, and particularly in the suburbs, it's showing that there's significant, you know, more significant drop-off uh, for, for Republicans, which means that we can, you know, we should focus. We as Democrats may want to spend a little bit of time and resources there. Uh, it's still not enough movement for my likes, but we... We have an opportunity, and I guess we should use this "quote" gold standard, as you like to call <laughs> it. I mean, it's the it's the only standard I I guess in it, Wisconsin. I mean, there's Saint Norberts. Saint Norbert, but
0: that is let's not even st- we'll, we won't talk right. about the problems there. So
1: you know, it's the only consistent poll that we have. So of course, but let's use it to our advantage. I guess is my my theory on it.
0: Robert, do you have any thoughts about this poll? Well,
3: I'm guessing that Charles Franklin, uh, to save money, basically <laughs> decides that if it's around five percent difference in partisan composition uh, after they do the survey, that they just stick with it because it seems to fluctuate more—a little more democratic yeah. sometimes, a little more Republican. It seems and to it, be
1: more Republican more though,
3: and it washes out. But they were very accurate about uh, in the previous in 2012 and 2014. They like everyone else. They were not accurate in 2016. Uh, so it's not necessarily a gold standard anymore. Uh, it does show, for bronze. example, <laughs> it is interesting that with a more Republican composition, which either is sampling error or Wisconsin with a more Republican, which we hope isn't the case, uh, that only twenty-seven percent support the Senate health plan. So even a, a Republican slanted poll for for this iteration. Uh, still finds the healthcare bill really uh, unpopular, and it just shows Walker is uh, unpopular, and Trump is even in a Republican leaning state that's more Republican leaning state than we guess. So that's the uh, the takeaway here: not that Walker gained, because it, all of Walker's gain has to do with the different different partisan composition of this particular version of the Marquette
0: poll. So obviously, right, the Marquette poll and polls in general they get you thinking about elections right the horse race so governor's race uh, any 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 thoughts from our panel in relation to the polling you know so now that we see this newly muscular scott walker in the polling middle so, up <laughs> in the mid 40s in a republican slanted poll so we have you know, we've talked, I think the last time we talked about the governor's race, there was a lot of hand wringing about the idea that where's all the Democratic candidates? Well, Jorna, Matt, where are all the Democratic candidates? It's June, a uh, year and a half out. Where are the Democratic down. candidates?
1: Oh my God, calm down. Calm down.
0: So let's rehash. We have, we have Bob Harlow. Bob Harlow, who, who's been out now for about a year uh, since he landed. Actually, we won't we won't go into Bob Harlow. Let's not pick on Bob. Yeah. Well, who else we got?
1: We uh, there was a there was another there was another woman who um, announced this week. Did, what? State Senator Kathleen Vinehout. Did
0: she actually she announced she filed her papers. well she filed
1: her papers? Okay, so she all but announced.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got Kathleen out. Luckily, ran, yes. luckily
1: that will not just be our field because <laughs> thank God. Um who we else? will hopefully have some folks who will announce on July first ish after the mm-hmm. finance reporting deadline. Um, you know, look there were some folks that were storming around at state convention at the Democratic Party state mm-hmm. convention earlier this month, including um state representative Dana Walks Dana from Walks up in the Northwest who is, heard
0: of him a little bit. is
1: great. Uh Andy Gronick from Fox Point, a businessman from Fox Point, and you know, and then there's all sorts of rumors about 101 other candidates that are going to get in. Look, I get it. Everybody's freaking out that, oh my God, it's a year and a half away, not even a year and a half away. Um, But we have time, and there's no need to rush through this process to just have candidates. Let's get the right candidates who are going to be dedicated, who have the the chops to take on Walker and the Republicans and who are going to be committed to raising the necessary money to do so, which I know we can all argue that money is evil in politics and all of these things, but it is the system that we currently exist in. So it's gotta be somebody who doesn't whine about raising money is hard. Uh, It has to be somebody who is willing to reach out to voters all across the state and is appealing and is going to have a very forward looking agenda that includes being pro-choice and includes gun control and includes being a good progressive and doesn't have a history of baggage of, you know, being mealy mouthed and uh, not supportive of progressive ideals.
0: Robert, any thoughts?
3: I agree with with almost everything Jorna said. Except well, no, I, I'm just gonna. <laughs> it, it's more omission than commission. So, I mean, I would add they need to actually sta- have a stand on the economy that really yes, would absolutely. transform the economy. They need to minimum stand, wage. They uh, raise the wage floor, but change the whole economy uh, and use the fact that we need to reduce uh, the carbon production dramatically as a way to finance a massive full employment. Uh, living wage campaign, basically for the whole state, including rural areas, which are totally left behind by Walker's economic agenda, as well as urban areas. Um, obviously, mass incarceration—we're about to hit a new record uh, for for people imprisoned uh, middle of next year. But and I totally agree that the candidates need to take seriously what it take means to take on Walker, who spent thirty five million his own last time, and there was didn't count the twenty million in dark money. Now there are different models for doing it. Let's remember that Bernie Sanders outraised Hillary Clinton. So if you have a bold and exciting agenda and are a change candidate and a charismatic, and no one thought Bernie was charismatic before the election, just to be clear, so we need to broaden our view of what charismatic is. Um, then you could generate tons of small contributions here and nationally, and not have to rely upon the kind of money that, that that waters your platform down. Because when you raise the big corporately interested money, guess what? They want something in exchange, and then you have to uh, try to balance between what your funders want and what the public wants. And that's been one of the problems with some with a lot of Democratic candidates. Not all of them, but some of them. So. I did write an op-ed in the Cap Times on how we could win the governor's race with a movement progressive candidate. We will put that again in the podcast section, the Battlegrounds Customs podcast section on our website. But... I agree totally with Joanna also that a primary is a good thing mm-hmm. and we should be testing out these candidates. And as for Citizen Action of Wisconsin, we're going to have a member-based process that starts with our platform and then only looks at candidates based on where they stand on a platform, not getting lost in all the personality stuff that everyone gets caught up in because it really should not be about who we like, who's friends with who. It should be who would be the best cat against Walker, and then who would turn the state around so we create a new progressive renaissance and long-term progressive
0: rule in the state. Give that guy a Tylenol. So Tylenol. I totally agree with don't Robert. You, don't need to, a whiskey. Give him a Xanax. Yeah. <laughs> Prescription drugs. Oh, right? good lord. No, Robert, you're absolutely right. And uh, before that election, I want to remind folks, well, there's going to be a big Supreme Court election next spring. Uh, we at Citizen Action want to be heavily involved. We're going to have a forum uh, featuring uh, at least uh, the two announced uh, progressive candidates, uh, Rebecca Dallet and, um, I'm sorry, Tim, Tim Burns. Burns. Tim Burns. So both of them will uh, be appearing, uh, I believe it's going to be September 14th. We will have more details about how if you are a member of Citizen Action, you can come and attend and ask questions and find out more about those candidates. But with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. So welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we have spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about the growing effort here in Wisconsin and nationally, but uh, in particular here in Wisconsin around trying to have fair maps and, and having maps that actually would allow us to elect our own politicians as opposed to having these sort of gerrymandered uh, maps where politicians really select the voters. Uh, last week, we had Sachin Chetta on, who is helping lead uh, the efforts over at uh, the Fair Elections Project and went into great detail about the latest on the, the lawsuit and where it stands with the Supreme Court. So this week, we actually wanted to spend some time talking about sort of this new grassroots organizing effort of citizens across the state that are really stepping up and getting involved in making this issue something that is no longer just being talked about by political types and becoming much more of a uh, broader public issue. And so we're joined by two uh, members and leaders within the new citizen action organizing cooperatives in Wisconsin. So we have two folks who are helping lead that effort around fair elections. So first, um, we are joined by Lindsay Dorf. Lindsay is active in the Northeastern Wisconsin Cooperative. She's on the steering committee and a co-leader of the Fair Maps uh, Coalition there. Lindsay, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having
0: me. And then we're also joined by Hans Brighton who is with the Central uh, North Central Wisconsin Cooperative. Hans is from the Merrill area. Hans, thanks for joining us.
4: You bet. Thank you.
0: So... I want to start with you, Lindsay. Tell us a little bit uh, uh, about yourself, but more importantly, why, why are you involved so actively in, in this issue of uh, uh, Fair Maps?
5: Fair Maps is something that I've been vaguely aware of previously, but this past winter I was looking to get more involved Like a lot of people, I think, politically right now. And State Senator Dave Hansen is my personal state senator. And I saw him post about this legislation that he was trying to get passed, which is Senate Bill 13 and the accompanying Assembly Bill 44 that would establish nonpartisan redistricting based on the Iowa model. And it seemed like such a great option for Wisconsin. And it seemed like people were really ready to be mobilized around something. It seemed like a great nonpartisan issue for people to mobilize around. And then there was also increasing awareness of this issue because of the Supreme Court case, too. So it really just kind of seems like a perfect storm where it might be the time and the opportunity for people to really mobilize around this and get more active.
0: How about you, Hans? Tell us a little bit about your uh, how you come into this, uh, this work.
4: Um, well, I've been on the county board now for about five years, and um, I felt that... Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a platform there um, versus, you know, not having any office in, at all. And it, it just seems to me that when you, when you look around the country and look at the different problems and different arguments that we have um, and you get frustrated because things don't seem to move, you start to look at, all right, well, what's the root cause of these things? And in my estimation, there's two root causes. One is money in politics. And that's a whole nother conversation. But secondly, is gerrymandering, and it speaks to the very you know foundation of our democracy. We can't we can't have an efficient and effective democratic system unless we have one person one vote. Um, so there's the practical matter of um, you know efficiency with which to get things done in the democratic system, um, and so we don't have the polarization and so forth. But there's also just the you know, the philosophical notion that if you believe in representative democracy and you believe that one person uh, should have the equal amount of say as the next one, and that everybody everyone's vote should count equally, then, then gerrymandering just flies in the face of that. And once you understand that our state and many other places around the country are very gerrymandered, um, it just... It's it's obvious to me that if that doesn't get fixed, then we're we're likely not to have very very productive arguments and debates on other issues because we we're not even in a place that we that we can have them. So I I thought that um, a resolution by the county would be one way that I could sort of say that out loud, uh, and our county could say that out loud. And and hope that, you know, other and just draw attention to the issue, you know, because I think there's so many people that uh, this is just not even on their radar and it really needs to be because it is such a foundational issue. So we we passed the resolution in Lincoln County back in March. Several other counties have passed similar resolutions since then. And we just also um, we we sent our, our, our resolution to the Wisconsin Counties Association for their consideration as well.
0: So, yeah, you, you mentioned the counties. We now, uh, Milwaukee County also just recently uh, passed a similar resolution. And uh, so, thanks to the work of you and other counties taking a lead on that, um, it, it is becoming part of a movement. Uh, but I want to follow up, Hans. You, you you mentioned that it's trying to get more folks to understand this issue. Um, Lindsay, You're obviously very active, and you mentioned Senator Dave Hansen's bill, and that you're someone who just recently got involved. Talk more about uh, your thoughts on how and why it's important for people to get involved and what, for example, you guys are doing in your organizing cooperative and what you would suggest to people who want to get involved. Yeah,
5: well, I think it really took off when we held our first town hall back in March here in Green Bay. It was the first big event that we did as part of this campaign, and nobody really knew what to expect because it's not a topic that people got terribly excited about previously. So I feel like we were given a lot of caution in terms of what expectations to have. And then that first event was standing room only. We had over 100 people attend. We got media coverage from three different television stations up in the Green Bay area. And so it was really successful, and people were really engaged with it. And so one of the things that we tried to do with that was not only inform people about it, and we were lucky to have really great informed speakers to help educate people, but we've also really been trying to put an emphasis on getting people active and mobilized around it. So one of the things we did was we actually had, like, action, like an action toolkit that each person could take with them. It had how to find their state senator, how to find their assembly person. We had sample scripts they could use because people are, you know, a lot of people are still shy about making phone calls. And so we've just really been trying to break that process down for people and make it as accessible as possible. And, I mean, that night I was even just sitting down and having conversations with people about the difference between their federal senator and their state senator. And, you know, even just starting at that level and giving people the tools they need to make their voices heard. So we've really been trying to emphasize that and find find things that people can do because people want to be active and they want to know that they're making a difference right now.
0: So for our listeners who are unaware, l- just let people know a little bit about the Northeast uh, Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative and what they should do if they want to join or get, get more information.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our cooperative just started this past winter, and we've been really active. Um, we were actually part of what got this statewide campaign going, so we're really proud of that. And then we also have campaigns around health care. We just started one around women's issues and um social justice we have an environmental issues team that just got started as well so we are very active in the area and i just i think sometimes we don't say enough how much citizen action has supported everything that we're doing and the resources that we have available through citizen action so i know just working with the fair maps campaign having access to experienced organizers and having their perspective and suggestions on how to go about this campaign has just been incredibly helpful and Not only that, but having the statewide connections, I feel like we were able to take this, what was really like a small idea originally, and have a lot of impact with it. So, yeah, I feel like the members who have been part of it have been really happy with the kind of work that we've been doing. And having that statewide connection and that access to experienced organizers has just really made us more effective, where I feel like I'd still be sitting here. With just an idea, I'm not sure what to do with it without the
0: access I had to City Action Organizers. And we'll have a link on our website uh, to where you can go and join uh, the North Northeast Organizing Cooperative and or speak to their lead organizer, Rebecca Durain, if you'd like more information. Hans, uh, a little bit more about uh, the Central, North Central Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative. Um, and just sort of you know your pitch uh... in terms of your experience
4: well yeah my experience has been very positive i, I think that I, I just was attracted to the concept as far as um, you know on a number of levels uh... i think you know we could make the argument that in the past few months there have been people who are pretty concerned about the direction of things and people understand now that it's not enough to just go out and vote that you have to get involved.
0: So if you're interested in joining the North Central Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative, we'll have a link there. So Hans and Lindsay really wanna thank you for taking the time to join us today and talk a little bit about your involvement around the Fair Maps work, but really to thank you for your leadership and in, you know, quite frankly, hanging together with folks in your community to try to build you know, the kind of community and organization that you want. So we really appreciate that. And thank you for taking the time today to talk with us.
4: You bet. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Well, with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action of Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we mentioned early in the show that we were going to have Jeff Smith, our organizing uh, lead up in, he's running the Western Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative. We were fortunate enough earlier to just hear from uh, two of the other co-ops, but Jeff is going to talk to us about Concentrated Agricultural Farming Operations, or as they're known by the acronym CAFOs. Uh, Jeff, thanks for uh, joining us today to talk more about uh, CAFOs.
2: I'm glad to do so, and thanks for having me on this morning.
0: So, Jeff, if if uh, some of our listeners may not fully understand what a CAFO is and why this is so important in a lot of places in our state, tell us more.
2: All right, I will. You know, right off the bat, uh, you've opened the door for me to correct you, Matt. Ha
0: <laughs> ha, good. It's
2: a, concentrated animal, it's a concentrated animal feeding operation, um, and oftentimes people get those uh, acronyms wrong. Um, it's, it's something uh, related, of course, to putting animals into a feedlot, um, one large operation where they are. Um, it, it really is a factory. Um, I just got done talking to someone who took a tour of a table of 9,000 um, cows where it was uh, eye-opening for them to see a barn that they couldn't even see the end of it. It's just so big. Um, And their 24-hour constant um, operation of milking, it never ends. And and each cow is milked three times a day, so they're on a carousel that they just keep moving around and around and around. So what a life. And one interesting aspect of that, and I was just told this a week or so ago by someone, a, a capo expert from the DNR, who said these barns are absolutely silent? And then when I mentioned it to this person, they said, "Oh yeah, I never heard a moo." And then they tried to tell them that, "Oh, a cow that uh, a cow that moves is unhappy." Well, I'm here to tell you, as somebody who who actually owns uh, uh, a steer of my own, we know that uh, when he's mooing, he's happy and he's actually uh, communicating with us. So there's definitely something eerily strange and unusual and and problematic with a barn with 9,000 cows in it, and they don't make a sound. So there's all sorts of problems in that. That's just one odd thing about it.
0: So tell us more a little bit about, I mean, one of the biggest issues, if I'm correct, is what these things are doing to the water and to communities and the fact that it appears that in many ways we have a state government that doesn't seem to want to really regulate these and it's been left to local communities, citizens and local communities to really stand up and uh, fight or organize, uh, to try to have some balance in, in what's going to come into our communities. Tell us a little bit more about kind of what's been going on there.
2: It is really left up to our local towns and counties right now. Um, we, we, as we know, our, our state government right now thinks we're, we're open for business and, and we want to deregulate, uh, weight. Way too many things. Um, so, our, so it is about water. Uh, bottom line, it's also about local economy. But it, if we focus just on the water part, that is certainly enough. And I'll tell you what it does. Um, as when, it, when I think about what we do as a co-op, it brings people together, and we're and I'm really always excited about that when we can talk about an issue and bring an issue to uh, to public awareness um, that affects. Everyone, and it's their clean water. Then people do come together and are more interested in what we do as a as citizen action organizing cooperative. Now, how it affects the water is obviously is the manure spreading, and the, and the more um, untrustworthy operations, which I would suggest would be the ones operated by an outside corporation where they don't have to live with the water. Um, tend to over, over spread on the property because you need an acre per animal unit, and a cow itself is one point four animal units. And so, in this case of that one I was just talking about, in nine thousand, they need thirteen thousand acres to uh, spread manure. That's quite a lot. And over here, we've been dealing with a possible expansion in Dunn County of a capo from twelve hundred cows to 7,200 cows and another one in St. Croix County that's trying to do the same thing but even go up to 8,000 cows and when they have to find that kind of that amount of land they start listing properties all around them um, because state law also says they can just put people's names and their properties on their list without even um, getting their permission. So we've been pushing that issue a lot and it's actually working to the effect that in the Dunn County example, we actually have gotten a second hearing, which was never, which had never happened before in the history of the DNR, and we have had a denial up to this point, of, which has never happened in the history of the DNR. So our, so we're really proud of that, and, and uh, we think it, it proves that the co-op model is working, when people can actually stand up together as a unit and say, this is wrong for our community, and this
1: Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, my folks live up in Door County, and I've spent a lot of time up there just in the past um, couple of months. And I drive past a lot of their KFOS, and you know, in Door County, it's they're surrounded completely by water—the bay on one side, and then the lake on the other—and there's not a whole lot of soil for any of this runoff to seep into. It's sand and it's rock, and so when there's not a thirteen thousand acre parcel of land to house some of this and to disperse the the runoff and the manure into um, into the land. I mean, that's a real serious problem, not only for just clean drinking water, but, you know, that's a tourist area as well. And that's going to impact the economy. It already has impacted, I know, dramatically Kewanee County. And, um, you know, people like my folks are attending meetings about this uh, and and taking action without any prompting from their, you know, political daughter to say, go do this. So this is a pretty uh, statewide issue, if if I do say so.
2: It, it is really a statewide issue. And in fact, over in that area, Kewaunee County has been the poster child for, for what can go wrong. Um, we know in Kewaunee County, over one-third of the private wells there are now undrinkable, unusable. They can't even take a shower with the water coming out of their private well. That's just shocking, um, and, and but, it's, but it's a fact. And according to state law, there's um, right now no way... To um, hold these capos affo- uh, accountable for what they've done to the water over there, uh, now they—they they, over there and actually over here too—we have the same um, situation where it's not, we call it a karst. That means it's it's a rocky um, soil or a solid underneath a very shallow soil, but they have cracks, in it, and those cracks actually um, direct. The the um, manure and the water, as the water um, pushes the manure through directly into the wells uh, far far quicker and far more dangerously so it's so it's really an issue and uh, it's it's a scary situation but people don't know what's
0: under their feet and don't realize it until it's too late. I would echo that this on the statewide issue and and not only just in terms of this as it impacting the water but this as is an issue this whole idea that we have a state where you have large corporate well-financed special interests basically running our political system and 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 so leaving it up to local communities and local organizing like uh, the folks in the Western Wisconsin Co-op are doing around this to to to, to fight what we're experiencing coming out of Madison. And, and certainly, you know, we talked about the Senate health care bill earlier out of, out of Washington. And so uh, this this definitely fits into that broader fight and what, what our rural communities are experiencing around their water and around their, as you said, their local economies and communities. So um, I, I would agree, Jeff. So. Let folks know what you know. What should they do if they want to get involved and join the Western Wisconsin Co-op and, and join you either in this CAFO fight or the other fights that you're involved in.
2: Well, they most certainly should uh, email me at jeff.smith at citizenactionwi.org. Um, that's the easiest way, and I can send them more information. Um, it, it's, it's an important issue to pay attention to, and, and I and, back, and as far as just touching on the economics for a moment, because we're also about economic justice, and we, we continue to hear from these corporations that, oh, we're creating jobs, but they're creating jobs for immigrant workers to send their money home while they're sending, and this is grassland butter, if we want to make this connection, a lot of people know what's going on or what has happened with grassland butter. They sent notices to 75 farmers that they're no longer going to buy their milk. He's talking about 75 small farmers of maybe 200 cows or 250 cows uh, who who do quite well and have for generations through their families. All of a sudden, they don't have a place to sell their milk, and they're going to be put out possibly get put out of business eventually by this. Wild Grassland Butter is behind the expansion of these of these capos over in western Wisconsin. So that is something that um, that that definitely brings it home to people and realize. Helps them realize that this is not the model for Wisconsin or for our local communities. So I, so you need to be involved. And the way we make a difference is being organized like we are with Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative on a regional basis so we can get 200 people to show up at a hearing, which we have done over and over over this issue, which, is, which has made the difference. So, again, get hold of us, uh, be, be a part of us. Um, and make and uh, you can make a difference. We're, we're demonstrating, and I can tell you as a former legislator, we're demonstrating right now that that's the way to make a difference because our state legislature is not going to do it. Um, I'm actually feeling seriously, and I'm telling you uh, candidly, that I right now am able to make a difference like I wouldn't be able to do in the legislature because we're not being heard, or, or, and legislators are not on the Democratic side are not able to uh, accomplish much at all. So this is the way we have to do it, locally and regionally.
0: Well, Jeff, that's extremely optimistic and really appreciate the fact that you and uh, the folks in the co-op have worked extraordinarily hard, not only building the cooperative, but leading on issues like uh, the KFOs and a bunch of other issues. So thanks so much for also joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. and We'll have links to join the Western Wisconsin Co-op also on the webpage, but just get in touch with Jeff. Thanks a ton, Jeff. All right. Thank you all. Have a good day. And with that, we need to bring this Battleground Wisconsin podcast to a close. We, of course, thank all our guests, including Jeff and Hans and Lindsay. And, of course, want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes this show happen every week. And then we'll see you all next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.